Well, hey, Mountain. Hey, uh, you friends over at Edgewood campus and the friends at the Bel Air campus. And what's the new guys again? What's the name of that campus? Well, Abingdon. Yeah, you guys. And here at Mountain Road and at uh, joining us online, I got a message for you. Happy Thanksgiving. That's it. That's probably all I got. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy some time, I hope, with um, the opportunity to give thanks to God. I hope that you did. And uh, we, we have kind of a tradition at our place uh, where I cook the bird. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like um, deep fry thing, you know, where you stick the bird down in. That's it's kind of you know you just do it uh, safely, or you burn your house down, kind of thing. <laughs> Part of the tradition is that every year I find a new way to screw it up, and this year I kept the tradition. So you know, you've heard me talk about uh, some of my episodes in the past. Uh, we have burnt little birds to a crisp little football size. We have. Uh, we, one year I didn't estimate properly and had to hack it into bits before I put it in because it wouldn't fit in. And uh, so this year, this year we, um, we changed the kind of oil that we used and I had it all mapped out, calculated down to the minute so everything could come out at the same time, you know, it's all that. And, uh, but I did not understand that this oil would take, instead of the 30 minutes I had allotted to heat up, it took two and a half hours. So yeah, so we got a little bit, little slightly behind schedule there a little bit. And then uh, there's something else with the oil because we, 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 we got a, um, a fresh bird instead of frozen this year. And so I don't know what it was about it, but the, but the thing was in there forever too. And so by the time, like when I pulled it up to look at it, there, it was just like completely falling apart. Like there were, somebody was like, hey, it's missing a leg. And the next time it was like missing another leg. We're like fishing around on the bottom. And then pretty soon the whole thing just kind of, it became like a leprosy bird. It's like, it just started, the whole thing just kind of went, Bleh. and so I literally was trying to get it and just the whole thing fell off the hook. I had nothing on, it was like a empty. So I'm like getting it out of the 300 degree oil and it just kind of, threw it on a plate and threw it in front of people and said, let's be thankful. And uh, now the worst part is the Vikings were playing, if you knew this, and so we completely missed that game. But I DVR'd it. We watched the game. After dinner, the Vikings won and the turkey tasted great. So all things are well at Kachera's family Thanksgiving this year, and that's, that's what I got to tell you. So I got to thinking about that whole fiasco and how in certain ways, it's a little bit of a microcosm of life. You know, um, there's always things that we have that we know we can be thankful for. And yet life is, can, can be hard. Um, things don't always go as planned. Um, things fall apart. And then I got to thinking about how here we are with this daylight saving thing. Do you notice you go outside at 4.45 and you look up and it's dark? Man, I hate that. And I got to thinking about that and the turkey and, and maybe you're like me and you just have this sensation that maybe just the whole world itself is getting dark. Do you feel that way sometimes? Like when you look at 2017 in a way, it seemed like it was kind of a dark year, wasn't it? It was kind of a dark year. I mean, this is the year we'll remember as the year of the Vegas shootings. You know, and all, the, all that chaos, and you talk about dark. But it wasn't just Vegas. It was Fort Lauderdale and Orlando and San Bernardino and Cleveland and Sutherland, Texas and Edgewood. In fact, take a look at this statistic. Mass shooting is when there's four or more victims, not including the shooter. A mass shooting is that. So as of November 5, which was 307 days into the year, we'd had excuse me, 309 days into the year, we had 307 mass shootings. Just about one mass shooting every day. Talk about dark. And then you, that's not to mention, you know, the, the bombing at the Ariana Grande concert. Soldiers 
killed in conflict all the time. The Egyptian mosque that was attacked, 80, 235 people were killed. And then Jerusalem, that guy that ran people and ran over 85 more. Syria's dropping airstrikes, North Korea nuclear testing. Talk about dark. What about, what about the weather? <laughs> Hurricanes. Harvey, Irma, Maria, Jacksonville, Houston, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, just literally people in the dark. Millions and all the devastation that goes with it. And refugees. This is the year of the refugees. So many of them under cover of darkness, literally running for their lives to get away from oppression or war or fear, hoping that when the sun comes up in this new place where they are, and they don't even know where they are, they'll, they'll find a, a new beginning. And then in Baltimore, the murder rate is setting records. We're on pace for the deadliest year ever. Greater homicide rate, more and more homicides than New York City. Assaults are up 22%. Violent crime, robberies, and rape are up 15%. We're, we've worked our way now into the top 10 most dangerous cities. And here in Hartford County, we're breaking records as well for heroin overdoses. It's up about 185% over last year. And every morning, we can get up and check the news and see who will be added to the growing cadre of those who are accused of sexual misconduct. Talk about dark. And then there's concerns for health care and climate change and economy. And, and in politics, everyone's either depressed or ticked off or both. <laughs> and on top of that is all the personal stuff, you know, just life, the darkness in our own hearts, little hidden sin and secret and shame and Darkness that's there and just the darkness of worry and stress and family and friends and finances and all that goes with that. And in some ways, it feels like the, the world's a place that Job described when he said in chapter 10, the land of, it's a land of utter darkness and deepest night, a place of shadows and disorder where even the light is like darkness. Even things that are supposed to be light seem dark sometimes. He was actually describing what he thought hell would be like. And I think sometimes that's what the world can feel like. It's a dark world, a lot of darkness, and darkness in our own hearts. When I was four years old, we lived in Minneapolis, and uh, it was awesome because I had my own room. That was the good news. The bad news was it was a little tiny, tiny room. It was actually a sewing room with a slanted ceiling and just enough room for a cot, but I didn't care. But the, the real bad news was that it was at the end of a long, dark hallway, and I hated it. I was the youngest. I hated it when it was like bedtime, and someone would say, Benny, you got to go to bed. I hated going up those stairs by myself and down that deep, dark hallway. The light was on the wall up above where I could reach it. It was up on the wall. So I would always say, hey, uh, well, can someone come and turn on my light? And, and, and I liked that. Uh, you know, then my sister, my brother, my dad, mom, whatever, would take my hand. We'd go up the stairs and down that hallway, and everything changed. I was, I was okay, even in the dark, because I knew the light was coming. And they'd get in there, and they'd flip on that light, and all was well. That's kind of where we find ourselves right now. See, we're at this thing called Advent, right? Advent means coming. Something's coming. Something's coming. What's coming? Light is coming. Light is coming. And, and, and this is what Isaiah was talking about 700 years before the time of Jesus, right? Chapter 9, Isaiah said, The people who walked in darkness, that's us, have seen a great light. Talking as if it's already happened. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, if that's not us, I don't know who it is. On them a light has shined. God is taking our hand. He's walking us down this long hallway 
He's going to flip on the light, and when he does, everything changes. We're going to talk about light, light. We're going to carry this series all the way through, up through Christmas Eve. And uh, Christmas Eve won't be quite as depressing as this sermon has been so far, but uh, we got to talk about the dark in order to even understand why light matters and what's the difference Jesus can make in our lives, right? So that's why we're doing it. And so it won't be surprising to you to, to, to think about this, that the concept of light saturates the Bible from beginning to end. If you open up your Bible, the very first page of Genesis 1, what does it say? It says, in the beginning God created heavens and earth, and he said, let there be light. And there it is right away. And then at the very end of Scripture, the last book is Revelation, and it pictures God obliterating all traces of darkness. Revelation 22 says, there will be no more night. When God is finished with everything, it'll be back to the beautiful radiant light that he created in the beginning. And he says, God himself will be our light. And in between these two beacons of light, of the Bible, in between, light is everywhere. It's mentioned some 200 times. I don't have time to go through all 200 references. We'll try to get like 198 of them or so. But, but the idea of light is powerful, and it's, it's more than, you get the idea that darkness and separation from God kind of go together, and that light and life go together, not just in a photosynthesis sort of way, biologically, but that in a deeper sense, light and life and God are all together. Take a look at some of these scriptures. Isaiah 60 says that the Lord is our everlasting light. He's light that you can't ever kind of put out. He's always been there, always will be. James 1 says God is the father of lights, and he describes how all good gifts comes from the father of lights. And 1 John 6 says that God will never die. He's immortal, and he lives in unapproachable light. There's a holiness kind of factor to the light and brightness of brilliance of God. Psalm 104 says that the Lord wraps himself in light, like a, like a garment of, of light. He's, he's, he is light. Uh, Psalm 119 says that God's word is like a lamp to our feet and a light for our path to help us find our way through a dark world. And Psalm 27 says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? Whatever hallway I'm walking through, I know who's holding my hand and who's going to flip on the light at the end of the hall. And all of this should just leave us wanting to pray that prayer like you find in Psalm 4, 6. Does it ever make you just want to say, in a world like ours that's dark, in a heart like mine that's dark sometimes, does it ever make you want to just say, Lord, send more light, we need more light. Let the light of your face shine on us. Our family needs light. Your home needs light. Your neighborhood needs light. Our community needs light. Our world needs light. You and I, we need light, and we long for light. Advent is God's walk down the hall with the hope and promise that light is about to shine on the people who walked in darkness. It's good news, friends. And so that's why when you look at the Christmas story, man, have you noticed how light is everywhere in the Christmas story. It's like all over the place. Every time an angel pops up, there's light because it's a message from God, a shaft of light breaking in. The ultimate Christmas story is God is sending a shaft of light to break through the canopy of darkness that covers our world to bring light into this old dark place. Every Christmas pageant has to have a little boy in a bathrobe with a stick. Who is he? He's acting like a Come on, you know the Christmas story? Shepherd, right? And the Bible says that the shepherds were watching their flocks and they were out in their fields when? At night. 
in the dark because they represent all of us walking in darkness. And how does that story go down? How does it all happen? Do you remember Luke 2 says, an angel of the Lord showed up, and the glory of God, the brilliant presence of God himself was so bright, it scared them to death, and they were terrified, and they thought it was bad news. Sometimes we think the presence of God is scary. And that's when the angel says, don't be afraid. What I bring to you is good news great joy, and it's for everyone. Don't be afraid of the light. Welcome the light. A Savior is born to you this day, Jesus Christ the Lord. And when, Jesus, when God wanted to help those wise men find that little baby born, what did he do? He put a light in the sky that they followed. All the way through, you see light, light. Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We want to welcome the coming of that light and take this Advent walk down. And, and, and Advent is really about that, the coming of light into a dark world, into dark hearts like ours. And today what I want to do is invite us to think a little bit about when the light of God first came into the world. And to do that, you go into your Bible to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, flip it open or get on your phone or whatever app you use, and we'll also put it on the screen here. You can follow along. We go to the very first page of the Bible. We find Genesis chapter 1. Take a look at this. Let's actually put it on the screen here and read this together, okay? Let's read it out loud together. A few verses, about three verses together out loud, okay? Here we go. Everybody together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. Day one. All right. Let's go back for a moment to verse two and look at it again. I want you to pick up on something here. Here's what it says in verse two. Now the earth was what? Formless and void. There was a, there was a nothingness before there was this created event. Formless and empty, a darkness. One translation gives that phrase. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. This, this word in the original language is Hebrew, and, and the word literally just means it's like a swirling mass of nothingness, a kind of confusion, a chaotic, topsy-turvy, swirling, disorienting, Black darkness. The word in the Hebrew language is kind of interesting. It's tohu vavohu. Tohu, not tofu. Tohu vavohu. Why don't you try it? Let's say it together a couple times. Tohu vavohu. One more time. It, it even kind of sounds sort of dark and foreboding, doesn't it? That's what the word is. It's sort of Chaotic. It means confusion and nothingness, like emptiness, like someone puts a blindfold on you, spins you around in a dark room, and you don't know where you are. 
It's walking down a hall when you're scared to death as a kid. Tohu vavohu. And that's all there is before God shows up. That's all there ever is before God enters the picture. And sometimes, isn't it true that tohu vavohu creeps its way back into our well-ordered, perfectly controlled, nicely created universes? Sometimes tohu vavohu shows up unwelcome into our world with its dark, swirling, confusing stuff. My friend Gail had a routine doctor's check for something she thought was minor. And the doctor says, well, you know, a little something showed up on your test. We just want to take another look at things, nothing to be alarmed about, but could you come back first thing tomorrow morning? And even though he tried not to act alarmed, um, she could smell it seeping through the cracks in the floor, you know, just this foreboding rumbling beneath what had seemed to her to be an ordinary sunny day and she had everything figured out in her life, all organized and plans for dinner and what was happening the next day and all of that suddenly just was swallowed up in this sea of confusion and chaos in her mind as she got the news the next day that rocked her world. She felt like a speck in a sea floating and all of that sunshine was long gone and she had tohu vavohu. There are moments like that in life that leave us kind of disoriented and afraid, right? Where the veil that separates creation from chaos is lifted and it all goes south into a wild flood of darkness. Maybe you've been in a time of tohu vabohu because you moved. You know, you, you relocated and there was something disorienting and dis, kind of puts you into a disequilibrium. You don't, and you miss your friends or it's a new situation or someone that you loved died or left you. It kind of guts you and leaves you feeling in a weird sort of topsy-turvy, land-in-between sort of state. I, I know a, a man, a friend of mine, his wife died after a long, difficult illness. And... And he told me that when that happened to him, he had loved her so much and prayed so hard that when it happened, he told the God that he had trusted so long, I don't know if I can walk with you anymore. Sometimes it's a divorce. Your kid's marriage busts up or your parents separate or someone tells you I'm done. A job change. Friendship ends. Finances go south. Your house gets vandalized. You graduate and you don't know what in the world you're going to do and everyone else seems to and you just seem kind of lost. Your reputation gets ruined. It can happen with a phone call. You pick it up and you answer and they say the numbers are bad, you're done and you put the phone back down in the cradle. You can barely find the cradle of the phone or to hit off and and. Everything is chaos. In so many ways, we find ourselves in a formless void. Maybe you're going through a period of disruption or pain or struggle or transition right now. If not, you will. When it's scary and chaotic and out of joint. And I just hope that what we can do for a couple minutes here together is just keep it real. I love that about mountains. I think we can keep it real. And talk really just very frankly about 
some of the pain and struggle of life and what to do with it in light of all this. And if you're like me, this is important because you have a tendency maybe if you're like me to kind of stuff things. I like to stuff things. I'm not proud of that, but I have a tendency. I want to avoid pain. I want to escape it. I don't want to talk about all the hard things sometimes. It's like a, sometimes we're like, we're like, you know, you're in a pool with a beach ball and you try to keep that beach ball down underneath the surface so it doesn't come up, you don't have to deal with it and just pretend everything's great and, chaos, and there's no chaos, just everything's great. It's all sunny and bright. And it's like you know, when you're in a pool, you got that beach ball, you can kind of keep it under and ride it for a while, but it's so much work. And eventually it's going to squirt out, pop up to the surface into the light. Can we just do that? Let the beach balls just pop, 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 pop. Let everything up into the light before God for just a minute and see what kind of things might happen when we let everything into the light and presence of God. Would you do that? Let's keep it real. Go back to verse 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. I want you to see something important here. Here's what it says. Now it says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And what? The Spirit of God was what? Hovering. Is that not beautiful? The Spirit of God was also there hovering in the mess over it all. Friends, listen. I don't know what kind of tohu vavohu you might have in your life right now. What kind of fear or darkness or confusion there might be. But listen, Advent Christmas is about Jesus, our Emmanuel. means God is with us. God is with us. He's still hovering, even though it's messy and chaotic sometimes in whatever pain you have, whatever struggle you have, whatever sorrow you have, whatever unanswered prayers you have. Listen, somebody needs to hear this today. It might be you. You're going through some kind of hell, some kind of dark place, some kind of struggle. You're going through some awful period. It's a terrible loss. There's so much pain. It might be a dull ache or a sort of crisis. I don't know. But you just need to know there's good news of great joy. And part of that is that God is with you in the chaos. He's with you in the chaos. The Spirit of God is hovering. You're in chaos? Guess what? God's hovering. Now, I, don't, I can't promise you that you'll always see it. I can't promise that you'll always be able to point and touch it. But you can know that he's faithful. The Bible describes God like a shepherd. It means you're a sheep. And here's what the promise is. It says, you're going to go through, you're going to go through a valley, little sheep, You might be in one right now. That valley for you might be depression or deep discouragement. might be suicidal thoughts. You might have found yourself in a valley of just family dynamics that you just couldn't figure out why everything that used to be so good is so screwed up. You might go through a valley of loss or death, insecurity or shame, somebody that won't leave you alone. Whatever it is, it could be what the mystics used to call a dark night of the soul, where it just seems God is absent, and however hard you try, you can't get through, and he doesn't seem to be paying any attention to you. When you go through the dark night, you just reach up for your shepherd. Psalm 23, 4 says it this way. Even, even when, not if I, if I walk with a shepherd, I'll never go through the valley. It doesn't say that. It says that when I do go through the valley, God is in the mess. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid because 
you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you know that God is always with you even in the midst of chaos? I can't tell you the number of people I've met as a pastor who are like, oh, I'm mad at God. I don't believe in God anymore. Why? Oh, I went through chaos and, and I, 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 God didn't you know, show up for me. So God, oh, the, the spirit of God was hovering. Here's what faith looks like, my friends. When you're going through hell or a valley, you can't see God, you can't feel God, you're groping, but you say, I'm not afraid. I know God is with me. I believe in the sun even when it's not, even when I can't see it, when it's not shining. I believe in God even when I can't see him, touch him, and I know there's a good shepherd who's with me in the valley, and in the times of tohu vavohu, I know the spirit of God is hovering over your life and mine. Let me back up and give a little context here that maybe will help us feel where this text can be so powerful for us. This, during the time this creation account in Genesis 1 was likely written down, um, the Old Testament people of Israel were surrounded at that time by Babylonian and other uh, kind of ancient Near Eastern superpowers. And none of those superpowers could give a fig about Israel or the God of Israel, Yahweh God. They had their own gods. They had lots of gods. And in their pantheon of gods, um, one of the big ones that the pagan nations loved a lot, especially in this period, was the god Marduk. Marduk was like a sun god, and, and eventually they had stories about him and myths that were like, you know, Marduk was the creator, Marduk did this and that, and all this stuff. And so here's Israel, little puny Israel now, outclassed by all these big surrounding superpowers. This once secure nation that had enjoyed the fruits of God's delivery in the promised land are now exiled, living out, you know, things aren't so peachy, they're in captivity, they're shipped off as slaves like Syrian refugees running through the night. It was social, economic, political, political, familial. It was chaos. They were living in tohu vavohu. They lost everything. And when you're in that situation, they did what many of us do. It it sort of rocked them to the core. They started to ask big questions like, wait a second, you know, is God really still in control? Is the Spirit of God still hovering in this mess? Because it sure don't look like it. Is God alive and on the throne? Because our situation looks bleak. And some were saying, you know, be a realist, look at things. I don't know. It's been a while since God's, you know, shown up in the way we want. And so it is into this chaotic, topsy-turvy, uneasy world that God gives Genesis 1 to his people. When you realize that background, you realize Genesis 1 is kind of an in-your-face encouragement to God's people and a challenge to those who don't believe in the way. It's a way of saying, you know what? Listen here, you nations of the world, you hotshots that think you're all that, you think you're going to upset and destroy and confuse us. Listen, ain't your God in control. Yahweh God is in control. Yahweh God is the controller. He's, he's the creator. It's not Marduk or some other fake God. He created heaven and earth. God did. And he brought order out of chaos. And if he did it for us back then, he can do it again for us right now. That's the message of Genesis. It's about a mighty God and having faith in him in the midst of a dark, empty void. He says, let there be light, and there was light. And when things look like they're falling apart in your life, just know that God is there hovering, and he's in the midst. And he can bring something good out of our chaos despite our situation. And that's the next thing I want to tell you, is that God's light and life will bring a new beginning, a new beginning beginning. We need new beginnings. 
going. It was in the worst kind of mess that God spoke. And everything began. Beautiful. New beginning. That's how it is in our lives. I was talking to a friend of mine. He lost his wife. And it was through that grief that he felt just everything was ending. Everything was dark. It was all bad. But somehow, as he invited God into that, over time, he has found himself kind of having this genesis in his life. At first, he felt guilty for all the new beginnings that were coming in because he felt like he was supposed to be just still feeling bad for losing his wife. But now, he's just thanking God that God, through his light and life, when there's death and darkness, brings a new beginning. And he wants to do that in your life, too. It's, I think, what Psalm 30, verse 5 is getting at when it says, you know, weeping will last for a night. There is darkness, and it can feel long and hard. But joy comes in the morning. Joy is coming. You're walking down the hall, and there's a light at the end. So here's the cool thing about new beginnings. It's saying this, that God doesn't just hang out you know, and hover in the midst of chaos. He transforms it. God is into recycling. You know how you're drinking a, drinking a soda out of a pop bottle, a plastic bottle, or whatever, you finish that sucker off and you throw it in the trash. And someone comes along and grabs it out and says, wait a second, we can recycle that. They pull it out of there and they tell you some story how they can make a, you know, a jet airplane out of it or something. They put it in the blue bin. And there's so many parts of our life where we feel like that. It's like, man, there's nothing that can be, it's just nothing but pain, nothing but struggle, nothing but loss. That was just a dead period. I hate that period of my life. I hate that thing that happened. I hate all of this, this dysfunction, this abuse, that addiction, all of it, just trash. And God is calling the angels over, and he's going, wait a second, watch this. He pulls it out. He goes, do you know what I can do with this? God is a transforming God. God can bring life out of darkness. He recycles in the midst of tohu vavohu. He looks at the swirling mass, and that's when he does his best work. My friend, God does the same thing in our lives with our cooperation and permission and willingness when we say to him, God, can you recycle this? And sometimes even when we don't, we throw it in the trash heap. He grabs it out and does something with it, and it turns our head where he's taken something that he's reclaimed, reformed, redeemed, and remade. He's the God who makes all things new. He's a creator God. He didn't just create a long time ago, you guys. He wants to create something now. He wants to lead you to a new beginning. He's the God that Romans 4 says is the one who brings life out of death and calls into existence what didn't exist before. There's some new thing God wants to do in your life, a new beginning he wants to begin. Not only that, God wants to reshape you in the darkness. You may be part of what he wants to make new. It's in the darkness that we feel the hands of God shaping and bending and chiseling us the most, isn't it? Have you experienced this in your life? It was the hard time that you didn't want that ended up being the transformative thing that you now can thank God for. It happens all the time. This buddy of mine lost his job. He prayed hard for that job. He was angsty and all worked up about it, hated everything about what was going on in his life because he, he lost his job. The next time I saw him, he was completely different. 
I thought it was because he got a job. He said, no, I still don't have a job yet, but my prayer life is amazing. I'm talking to God like I never had before. My wife and I are clicking. We had just forgotten about each other. I'm with the kids. I know it's important. I got my life back because he lost his job. God wants to reshape you in the darkness like that. I've seen it with people with sick kids. I've seen it with someone whose house burned down. I've seen it with a divorce. I've seen it with all manner of tohu vavohu. God reshapes us. Tohu vavohu is like going through a tunnel, like a train going into a tunnel. And you get into a certain place, and it's far enough in that you can't see the light behind you anymore. But you can't see the light in front of you either. You just feel the train rocking. And you got three choices. You can fear it and just live scared when you're in those tunnels. Refuse to accept what's going on, just fear it. Or you can fight it, hate every step of the way, stay angry, bitter, resentful. Or you can follow it in faith. Fear it, fight it, or follow it in faith, trusting that there's light at the end of this tunnel. There's light at the end of this hall. And know that every loss, every pain, every struggle, every dark night of the soul is a tool for transformation in your life in the hands of God. He wants to draw you. I know there's someone here, and you're going through a struggle right now. I've seen it a thousand times. God wants to use that struggle to draw you to himself. That's the change he wants to see in you. He wants to connect with you, and pain is going to be the avenue that it could happen if you'll allow it. Don't let the bitterness drive you from God. Let it lead you to him. He wants to shape us in the darkness. If we surrender all of this tohu vavohu to him. One more thing to remember. God wants to use you to help others. God wants to use you. In fact, God wants to use you at the very point of your pain. The very experience you went through that felt so awful, that chaotic trip through the tunnel where you had no light and felt scared and mad and confused, you have some understanding and sensitivity that God is hoping you'll share with someone else. Because when you've had a miscarriage, when you've had a child with special needs, when you've gone through a period of fighting with your in-laws, when you've had a dysfunctional family, when you've struggled from divorce, when you've had addiction in your family, when you've had an accident or Alzheimer's in your clan, it, you know, whatever it is, God wants to use you in that point to help others. Because there's someone in a tunnel right now that doesn't know there's light coming, and you do. That's what I think 2 Corinthians 1 is getting at. It says this, verse 3, All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. Good news. God comforts us. He's hovering. He's there in the mess. But listen, there's more. Verse 4, He comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Think of it as light. God has given you light. Now you spread the light. 
Someone somewhere is in a dark place, throwing up a prayer to God saying, I need light. And the one Jesus who said, I am the light of the world, turns to you and says, now you are the light of the world. And you're the shaft of light that he's hoping will land before them to bring the light of God to someone who's struggling, maybe in exactly the way you have. Because, friends, here's what the world needs. John chapter 1, verse 5. It's the creation story from another camera angle with Jesus at the center. The Word, that's Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You guys, the darkness doesn't win. The darkness is deep and foreboding and scary, and you're walking down the hall, it it can feel scary. But when someone's holding your hand, and you know there's light at the end of the tunnel, everything changes. So we're called to follow and trust and to find order in our chaotic world in this one who said in John 12, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. You can live in a dark world and have parts of your heart that you struggle with that are dark. You have the light of Christ. You trust Christ. You have the light of life. You have the light of life. So, my friends, live in the light. Walk in the light. Bask in the light. Spread the light. Enjoy the warmth of the light. We're going to talk about light in the next few weeks. As we close today, let me ask you a really important question. Where do you need the light of Jesus in your life right now? Where do you need the light to penetrate, to come, to flood, to heal, to expose? Some place of hurt or pain, some part of shame, or sin, where do you need the light? Here's another one for you. Where do you need a new beginning? Where's the new beginning that God is whispering by his Holy Spirit that hovered over the darkness? He's whispering, let's begin. Trust the one who says, I am the light of the world. Trust him. Let me pray for you. God of eternity, eternal light giver, God, thank you for coming among us as Jesus, this little baby who grew into this one who has shown us what it is to live and die and live again. Come to us in our darkness. Fill us with your light and love. Help us to live in a dark world as people of the light and to share that with someone who needs it the most. We pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.